to Luke, chapter number 14. Spanish will go ahead and be dismissed now, since Brother Mussino is playing for us. Once again, please make sure you keep our men in your prayers. Obviously, they are on the road right now uh, in Pakistan, so make sure you keep them in your prayers. Keep our ladies in your prayer uh, that are uh, pregnant and going through some issues right now. Please make sure you keep them in your prayers. So Luke chapter number 14, we'll read two verses, then we'll pray, and uh, then we shall be seated and jump into the message for this morning. Luke chapter number 14, we'll begin reading in verse number 10. Luke chapter number 14, beginning in verse number 10, the Bible says, But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may saith unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. Verse number 11. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you'll use me during this time, Father. Give me the words to say. Help us, Father, to grow and learn from the message you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, it's a very dangerous thing to make assumptions. Okay, assumptions are a very dangerous, dangerous thing to do. Let me go ahead and switch. Come on. All right, cool. Uh, assumptions are a very dangerous thing to do. They're very dangerous. Jumping to conclusions, they cause problems, they cause strife, they cause issues amongst the closest of individuals when we jump to conclusions or we make faulty assumptions. I want to read to you a list of some of the uh, uh, sometimes it's fun to, you know, if you have a favorite sports team and stuff like that with all the sports media there is today, uh, and everyone has their own opinions and everyone thinks their opinion is worth hearing, so they love to tell everyone their opinion. Uh, so you can look up compilations, they're called bad takes or things that didn't age well. You know, they're like, you know, oh, this person's going to be like the worst person ever, and then they're like the top of the league that they're in. Uh, so those are always fun to see because, you know, people being very prideful about what they think, and then they're wrong. Uh, but I want to read to you some of the worst takes that have ever happened in history. Uh, a man by the name of Samuel Pepys, he was a celebrated English diarist. He wrote the following comments on seeing plays by Shakespeare. He lived during uh, the, late, uh, the early 1600s, uh, early 1700s. Uh, for Romeo and Juliet, he said, the worst play I ever saw in my life. For a Midsummer's Night Dream, he said, the most insipid, ridiculous play. And then for the Twelfth Night, he said, a silly play. Um, Dr. Dionys Lardner, he was a professor of natural history and astronomy at the London University. He warned that railway trains traveling at speeds would asphyxiate their passengers through lack of air. He also stated that no steamship would be able to cross the Atlantic because it would need more coal than it could carry without sinking. Simon Newcomb, the leading U.S. astronomer of his time, and a professor of astronomy and mathematics, declared that flight by heavier-than-air objects was completely impossible. Even after the Wright brothers made their first flights, he still claimed that airplanes were impractical and worthless. Uh, Ernst Weiner Simons, he said, electric light will never take the place of gas. Charles Duell uh, said that everything that can be invented. He was in the U.S. Patent Office in 1899. 1899. He said, everything that can be invented has been invented in 1899. 
and notice, most of these people that are saying these things are experts in their area. But even experts can be very wrong. Uh, Lord Kelvin, a very distinguished British mathematician, scientist, he developed the law of conservation of energy. He stated that radio has no future. He also said x-rays will prove to be a hoax. H.G. Wells said, I refuse to see any sort of submarine doing anything except suffocating its crew and floundering at sea. All right. General Douglas Haig, he was a commander of the British Army in World War I. He said this of the machine gun, make no mistake, this weapon will change absolutely nothing. That's what they said. Once again, experts in their area. Irving Fisher, professor of economics, says stocks have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau. He said that in 1929, which was, you know, right before the Great Depression. So he was right on that one, permanently high plateau, which in the next year was a, almost a permanently low plateau. Uh, Dr. Albert Einstein said in 1932, there is not the slightest indication that nuclear energy will ever be obtainable. And once again, 10 years later, and he was, Dr. Einstein was one of the ones that really helped in understanding how the atomic bomb works and nuclear energy. But once again, it just goes to show, just because you're an expert does not mean you know anything. Admiral William Lehigh said, the atomic bomb will not go off, and I speak as an expert in explosives. That's what he told President Truman in 1945. He said, look, the atomic bomb is not going off. And I'm telling you this as an expert on explosive, the atomic bomb will not go off. Which then they proceeded to do two of them. Sir Richard Woolley declared that space travel is, alter, is utter bilge, meaning it's, it's just garbage, it's filth. Traveling in space, that's just, that's, that's ridiculousness. That's garbage. Don't even talk about it. Oh, this is a great one. Uh, Ken Olson, CEO of DEC in 1977, said, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. <laughs> and then the best one of all, Bill Gates in 1981 said, $640,000 ought to be enough for anybody. Which, if you don't know, he has a good bit more than $640,000, and he seems... He could take more now, okay? So once again, all these different things, assumptions are a very dangerous game to play. This is what Jesus Christ was trying to teach on here. Let's go back to uh, chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, verse number 10. But when thou art bidden, go and sit in the lowest room, okay? And, and this time there were different uh, uh, levels and places that you sat, different places at the table meant different things about who you were, which rooms you were allowed to go in when you were invited to a, 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 a someone's house it was a part of status, was who you are and how much you meant and how special you were to the individual that invited you over. So what Jesus Christ is telling him, he says, look, if you've been invited over to someone's house, automatically assume that you go in the lowest room. Automatically assume that you are just the lowest of guests that they have there. That's what he says, go to the lowest room. That when he that bade thee cometh, so he says, look, when the guy that invited you, when the guy that came, when he cometh in, this is what he can say. Go up higher. Friend, go up higher. 
then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. He goes on to talk about later on, he says, look, you're going to make a fool of yourself. If you have the assumptiveness, the assumption that you are someone special, when you assume and jump to the conclusion that you are the guest of honor, you're going to walk into a room, you're going to sit at the, 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 the place where the guest of honor sits, the place of authority, the place of value, and then the guy that's in charge of the whole deal is going to have to come to you and say, hey, uh, this isn't your seat, you're, you're supposed to be down there. And then in front of God and everybody, you've got to get up and have the walk of shame over to where you were supposed to be sitting. See, how much better would it be if you were the one sitting in the lowest seat and the guy in charge came in and said, hey, why are you sitting over there? You're supposed to be all the way up here in the place of honor. It's the exact opposite. And the feeling of doing it is the exact opposite. You get in front of everyone, you get exalted. You get praised and shown forth of being in the place of honor. As opposed to, in front of everyone, getting shown, you are not someone of honor. You assume too high and you assumed too much of yourself. See, making assumptions are dangerous. But the most dangerous is making assumptions about yourself. As we looked, we looked at all those different assumptions. Most of those assumptions were not about themselves. Most of those assumptions were about things other than themselves. And we like to laugh at them because they were all so bad and so horribly off and they, they did not age well with time and how things actually went. But those don't really harm anything. It's just something funny to laugh at because they were very prideful and sure in what they were saying and then they were wrong. Well, that's not a big deal. But it's so much more dangerous when you're making assumptions on not just things, but on you yourself in particular. On who you are, on how much you're worth, and your true value to those around you. It's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous thing to do. Your own stature, your own place in a situation, never assume who you are. Always let those that are in authority let you know who you are. Because then there is no humbling factor. There is no factor of having to make yourself look like a fool in front of everyone. The only thing that can happen is you're already where you're supposed to be, so great. Or you go up from there. You literally can't go any lower unless you weren't invited and you decided to come in, which that's a you know, different deal altogether. Okay? But if you're invited, just go to the place of the lowest of the lowest. And then literally, you can only go up from there. That's what Jesus Christ is trying to teach. He's trying to teach, do not exalt your Self. I want to look at some different men, some different instances from the Bible to see what happened and how dangerous it truly can be when you think that you're all that in a bag of chips. You think they're the coolest things and sliced bread, whatever idiom you want to put in there, and you think you're all that. I want to show you some men that thought about that, that about themselves and how it turned out for them. Let's go to the book of Esther. Esther chapter number 6. Esther chapter number 6. We're going to read this chapter here. It's 14 verses. It's not too long. If you are familiar with your Bible, you probably already know who we're going to. You probably already know who we're going to talk about. A man that made very high assumptions about who he is and what his place should be. Esther chapter number 6, reading in verse number 1, the Bible says, On that night... 
could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the books of records of the chronicles that they be read before the king. So basically, this is literally someone that their job is to write down things that happen. Okay? On this day, at this time, this person said this, and this person did that. And so basically, the king is saying, look, I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. I need something to put me to sleep. So read about what happened. Okay? Read, read the court happenings of the day. Okay? If you've ever read Chronicles, even the book of Chronicles, but a Chronicles of a courtroom or things like that, it's a riveting read. Okay? It'll, it'll you know, bring life into your into your sleep, okay? Uh, and that's what he's, what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm tired. Read me something that's going to put me to sleep. I want to go to sleep. So they start reading. He says, read me the Chronicles. Basically, what has happened in the past few weeks? Read me the, the, the day and times of me uh, because that's who it was all about, was the king. So, you know, it's real riveting stuff when you're reading about you. Uh, so, and it was found written, verse number two, that Mordecai had told of Bigthana, and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. So basically the story is Ahasuerus, he's the king of Persia, and two of his chamberlains, two of his most trusted uh, uh, servants, they hatched a, plat, uh, hatched a plot to try and kill the king. They tried to murder or assassinate the king. And it did not go well for them. Uh, they were found out by Mordecai. He was the uh, uh, keeper of the gate, and he found out that these two men were trying to kill the king, and he warned those that needed to be warned, and their plot was foiled, and therefore the king's life was saved. Which, if you've seen uh, VeggieTales, all I can think of now is a piano dropping, because, you know, that's what they did. They, you know, they were going to have a piano drop on the king, and so now that's all I can think about is that a piano was, they're trying to drop a piano on King Ahasuerus, which is interesting to think about. Uh, and the king said, what honor and dignity hath done to Mordecai for this? So he's saying, okay, look, this guy saved my life. He literally saved my life. Like there is no other way of looking at it. These guys were going to kill me. They were two of my most trusted. They were my chamberlains. They were men that served me in my chambers. That's about as, uh, that's about as close of a trusted person as you can have. And if these two guys hatched a plot to kill me, they would have killed me. But because Mordecai found out, my life has been saved. So he asked a very good question. He saved my life. What has been done for him that he saved the life of the king? So let's read on. Uh, then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, there is nothing done for him. They looked in the record and said, uh, we haven't done anything for him. You didn't tell us to do anything. Uh, we weren't sure what to do, so nothing has happened. So reading on. And the king said, who is in the court? So basically saying, who, who of any of my advisors that I go to to ask questions to, to get advice on, who is here that I can ask him about this? Once again, it's nighttime. He's trying to sleep. So he's saying, who is still up? Who is still, who is still you know, burning the midnight oil, I guess you could say? Uh, who can I ask about this? Now Haman was coming to the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. But basically... Uh, Mordecai and Haman, if you don't know, this, if you don't know the account, uh, they, they did not like each other. Haman actually hated the Jews. Haman has to plan to murder all the Jews, to commit genocide. If you were a Jew, he wanted you dead. You know, that's not a uh, you know, good situation to be in. Okay? You're, in a, you're not in your own country. 
you're at the mercy of the Persians and whatever they try to do. And one of the king's most trusted advisors, his right-hand man, the man that if he asked him anything, the king probably would do it without question, he was hatching a plan to kill you and all of your people. That was the situation that they were in. So they did not like each other at all. Obviously Mordecai, because, you know, he didn't want to be murdered and all his family. Uh, but Haman just had a hatred towards the Jews. So we see here Haman, he was already going to the king because he was mad. He was mad at Mordecai, and he was going to go tell the king, this guy needs to be hung. Uh, he disrespected me. This, this, this scum needs to get hung and killed and made an a, 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 a example of in front of the country. So he was already there. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighted to honor? So he's asking, look, I, I want to honor somebody, Haman. I, I want to make somebody know that the king honors them and the king values who they are and what they have done for the king. What should I do for that man? Let's read on. Now Haman thought in his heart, notice this, thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? Oh, he thinks, oh man, the king is trying to get me to pick my own Christmas present. The king is trying to flatter me and butter me up. He wants to know exactly what I want, but I'm just too smart for the king. Uh, I know what his game is. He's going to try and surprise me, but I already know what he's doing. And so he starts going off in his mind of all the crazy things he can think of. He gets his Amazon wish list out, and he starts checking them off. Ooh, I want this. I want that. I, ooh, let's add that in there, too. Uh, he starts going through it all because he thought in his heart, who else? <laughs> Have you seen me? <laughs> who else would the king want to honor than me? I mean, come on now. And this is, what he, this is what he's thinking. To who would the king delight to honor more than myself? Oh, man, he must have been a wonderful person to be around. <laughs> Verse number seven, and Haman answered the king for the man whom the king delighted to honor. Let the, royal, uh, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighted to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighted to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste. Let's get it done. So Haman, he's got his wish list out. He's going over them. He says, ooh, ooh, they should wear the king, the most royal apparel. They should get the king's horse. They should get the crown. They should get the highest prince available. And he should be his, his shore boy, his little servant to walk him around. That's what it should be. That's to show how big of an honor this guy is, how big of a deal this guy is. He wanted everyone to see Haman is someone special. 
I get to wear the king's royal robes. I get to wear the crown. I get to ride on the king's horse. The most high noble prince there is available to me, he's just someone that leads my horse around. Notice, this, this is all from his head, which... Verse number 10, then the king said to Haman, make haste and take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said and do even so to Mordecai the Jew. Can you imagine, can you imagine the face of Haman? He's, he's high, oh man, he is, he's so happy. He hasn't been happy in so long. Man, he just got disrespected by Mordecai, but he forgot all about it because Man, he got his wish list out, and he's like, I'm getting what I want for Christmas. And, oh, man, he felt so good about himself. And could you just imagine the, the, the blood drain out of his face as he, you know, turns white as a sheet. The man he hates with all his heart, he just gave him his Christmas wish list. The things that he has dreamed his whole entire life that he gets to do. I have no doubt that Haman is laid awake at night thinking of these things. And notice... He had these things, poof, right off the top of his head. It's not like he said, let me think about a king and I'll get back to you. He had this thing rehearsed. He knew exactly what he wanted. He had, he had it memorized. This is what I want. 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 Okay? It's like that person that feigns like, oh, you don't have to get me anything. You ask me, and, okay, this is what I want. You know, it's like, it's like, okay, all right. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, uh, so Haman's here, and just imagine, just imagine his face. When he hears the word, the words, do so to Mordecai the Jew. Just imagine. He, he, he was only there to tell the king, this guy needs to get hung. And now, this guy is going to get everything he's ever dreamed of. Mordecai, Mordecai the Jew, that sitteth at the king's gate. Just to make sure we know who we're talking about. Because once again, to the king, this is just someone that sits at the gate. To him... This was someone he only knew because it was in the chronicles and the records. So he wanted to make sure, you probably don't know who this guy is, Haman, because he's just he's, he's the one that sits at the gate, just in case you don't know who it is. But, oh, Haman knew who it was. Let, oh, this is great. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. The king says, that is a fantastic idea. Haman, you did it again. That is perfect. Make sure you do it exactly Make sure you do it exactly the way that you said it. A nightmare for Haman. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback to the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Now I wonder how many times Mordecai had to kick him to say it louder. Say it louder. You know, he's probably like... Thus the man, the king, the honor, okay? He probably like wore some sort of garb to hide his face so no one could see who he was. But just imagine, like this is the assumption he made. Who else would the king want to honor? There isn't anyone else besides me. The gall that he has to have to think in such a way. Verse number 12, and Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman, get <laughs> This is great. But Haman hasted to his house, mourning, and once again, having his head covered. His life has been ruined. His social status is, is gone. His entire life, he's been working for his 
biggest dream he ever had, and it turned into his biggest nightmare. He ran home crying. He ran home weeping, covering his head. He was ashamed. He was humiliated. Verse number 13, And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Oh, you don't know what happened to me today. You know, acting like he's Job or something, and he's just had the most horrific thing happen to him. I told the king my, my dream. It was my dream. It was what I wanted. And Mordecai got it. It's just like a kid. That was mine. That was the sticker I wanted, and you got it. Okay? Calm down. Mordecai got what Haman desired. Haman thought, this is it. I've got it now. I've been waiting, I've been working, and I finally hit it big. The king finally understands who I am and how important I am to him. Now, once again, if you know the book of Esther, you know very soon Haman's really truly going to get what he deserves. This was just the, the, the prelude. This was just the appetizer to what Haman deserved for who he was. This is just the humiliation before the actual punishment came. In just a few days, he's going to have dinner at Esther's place with the king, and Esther is going to spill the beans on Haman. And what Haman thought was just a bad day, a nightmare, turned into his reality. You see, because Haman didn't realize the people he picked to fight against were first off, God's people, and secondly, was one of the king's most favorite wives, because she was a Jew. And the moment King Ahasuerus found out that first off, Haman's trying to kill the Jews, which once again was Mordecai, the one that saved his life, and more importantly, was his new queen. Well, he he didn't take kindly to that. The Bible says he had to step out. Okay, it's one of those situations where you get so angry, you know, like, give me a minute. I'm going to kill everyone. Give me five seconds so I can, okay, so I can. And then he, come, and then he comes back in the room, and, and Haman's, you know, jumping on the bed, crawling after Esther, saying, please. And he thinks, he's like, you're trying to kill these people, and now you're trying to hurt my queen. Ooh, man, he lost it. Haman, he made a very bad, very horrific assumption. He jumped to a conclusion, and it was the first domino to fall in the culmination of the ruining of his life. He and his sons were hung on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. He made an assumption that he was going to be the one. It's all about me. I am going to get my way. And it didn't go his way. Let's look at another one. 1 Kings chapter 2. The danger of exalting yourself. 
1 Kings chapter 2. First Kings chapter 2, begin reading in verse number 5. Sorry, 2 Kings, my bad. 2 Kings. You started reading like that, does not make sense. It is first, okay, sorry, it is First Kings. I apologize. First Kings. I'm just seeing your dexterity of your fingers this morning, you know. Kings chapter 1, verse number 5. The Bible says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. He's getting his entourage ready. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man. And his mother bare him after Absalom. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they following Adonijah helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, and Rai, and Ray, and the mighty men which belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah slew sheep, and oxen, and fat cattle by the stone of Zoleth, which is by Enrogel, uh, and called his brethren the king's son, and all the men of Judah the king's servants. So Adonijah felt like he had been passed over. Because David proclaimed, Solomon is going to be the next king. Now, according to custom, Adonijah should be in line before Solomon is. Because I was born before Solomon, so I should be before Solomon. I should get my crack at king first. Solomon's later on down the line. He doesn't deserve it. I deserve it. So Adonijah didn't like what he heard, so Adonijah decided, as the Bible said very explicitly, and then Adonijah exalted himself. Adonijah said, I have an idea. How about we do it my way? I want to be king, so I'm going to be king. And so he gets his whole entourage together, 
he learned from his brother Absalom on how to do it. Okay, very similar scenario. Absalom had his own way of doing things, and he got all his men together. He got his chariots and his men to run before him so he could have his own entourage. And then we see Adonijah do the same exact thing. He has his entourage. He had all his men to run before him, uh, his chariots and horsemen, 50 men to run before him. I'm a big deal. See, I've got a lot of people with me. I'm important. People like to follow me. So we see Adonijah decided that he knew what was best for the situation, that he knew how to handle what was going on. But it did not turn out the way uh, that he thought it would. See, Adonijah thought, I'll become king and everything will be great. People will hail me as king. They might have a problem here and there. Some of the, the, the real diehards uh, that really loved my father. See, once again, there were certain men that Adonijah didn't even go up to. Which goes to show more of their character than the ones that Adonijah felt like. You know what? I think I might be able to swing them. See, those men, Zadok the priest, Benaiah, Nathan, those men, they weren't even brought up to. They weren't even let known of what was going on because it was already known, nah, they're not going to follow along. They're just diehards with, with the old king, with my father, with the old man. They'll always do what he said. Don't even bother asking them. They're just going to cause us problems. They didn't even bother to ask him. So it goes to show those that they did ask, and you look at their character, those were ones who had issues of following. Okay, Joab in particular. Okay, Joab is a very unique man. Very unique. Sometimes it's like he's got David's back like nobody else. And other times it's like, ah, I don't know, David. I think I know what's best here. But once again, Joab was the opportunist. I think that really what it boils down to. If, it, if it's best for me that I listen to David, I'll listen to David. But if I think there's a better option, I'll do what I think it is. See, because Adonijah already had his men together. He already had a following. He already had people that were loyal to him. And Solomon was still much younger. Solomon wasn't a, a man of war or fighting. He didn't have a lot of uh, backing and things like that. So he just thought, you know what, I think it might be better for me. I just follow Adonijah. So we see here Adonijah thought, I've got it under control. I've got it. I can take care of it for myself. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 24. Adonijah thought he had it all together. I know what I'm doing. They don't know what they're doing. They overlooked me. They shortchanged me. God didn't put me where I deserve to be. If God didn't want me to be king, he shouldn't have made me a son before Solomon. That's basically what he's saying. Well, let's see how it went out for him. Verse number 24, 1 Kings chapter number 2. Now therefore, as the Lord liveth, which hath established me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who hath made me an house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. And King Solomon 
sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him that he died. Benaiah is probably one of the most loyal men in the entire Bible. No matter who was in charge, Benaiah was going to follow them. If you have God's backing, I'll do what you say. He followed David. He followed David even to when it didn't make sense. He was one of David's mighty men. He would do what David said, even at this time when it seemed like we're on the losing side here, David. They asked David, they said, David, is Solomon supposed to be king after you? And David said, yes. They said, okay. Even if it means we're going to die, even if it means we're going to get slain, we're doing this. And that's what he did. But once again, Solomon had the backing of God, so it really didn't matter how many men Adonijah had running before him. God was going to get the victory in the situation. God did not want Adonijah to be king, so it did not matter how hard and how much Adonijah tried and how many people Adonijah had behind him. Adonijah exalted himself. So that's as far as Adonijah would go. You see, God is looking for the man that's waiting to be exalted. That's what Jesus Christ said. If you were bade to come to a party, sit in the lowest room. That's what God says. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the man that gets to a situation, that gets to a place, and he assumes I'm the lowest. I'll wait for someone else to exalt me before I exalt myself. Before I assume I am more than I am, I'll let someone else do that. He exalted himself. Can you imagine being Adonijah? That one decision to exalt himself, and now he's staring death in the face as Benaiah comes and he falls on him, meaning he kills him. And it wasn't like a boom, boom, boom. Adonijah was hiding, and Benaiah said, I, I don't know if I should kill the king's son. Now, I'm not, and that's how loyal he is to David. He said, look, I, I know he took the thing, but I want to make sure I am doing the right thing. So he went back to Solomon and said, here's the deal, Solomon. This is where he's at. This is what he's doing. What do you want me to do? And he was given the order, kill him. And so he said, okay, I just want to make sure. Because remember, Joab was facing that same situation. When Absalom rebelled, Joab decided for himself. King David said specifically, I don't care what it is, do not kill my son. And Absalom, with his long flowing hair, got caught in a tree and was hanging by his hair, literally. Hanging by his hair from a tree. And Joab saw him and said, I think I know what's best. This is how loyal Benaiah is. He says, I want to make sure whatever I do is the exact right thing. He's the king's son, even though he caused uprising. And I'm sure maybe that was in the back of his mind. Because King David made it known to the whole army when they went out to battle, do not kill my son. So I'm sure that was in the back of his mind where he was thinking, look, this is still King David's son. I want to make sure I do the right thing. So he went back to him and they said, no, you need to kill him. He has chosen his way. So Adonijah exalted himself and paid the price for exalting himself. Haman exalted himself 
and he paid the price for exalting himself. Genesis chapter number 25. Genesis chapter number 25 and verse number 23. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. From their very conception, God made a promise and God made a statement. That your two boys, your twins, one is going to be stronger, one will be weaker. One will be the master, one will be the servant. Now, custom would say the older should be. The older should be the stronger, the older should be the master, the younger should be the weaker, the younger should be the servant. That is what tradition was. That is even the way it was supposed to be. But God will do how God sees fit. And at the beginning, God says, this is how this one's going to go. The younger shall be the master. The elder shall serve the younger. That was God's plan. So, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older. Jacob was the younger. So, according to God's plan, according to God's promise, Jacob would be the stronger and Esau would serve Jacob. That was God's plan. But just because it's God's plan does not mean it's right to take things into your own hand. Let's look. Genesis chapter 27. First off, Jacob tricked Esau into giving him his birthright. The birthright was basically the right of birth, meaning that that's the right of having the, uh, the, the inheritance of the father. The eldest had the birthright, the right of being born first, so therefore he would get the lion's share or the biggest share of the inheritance. Everyone got some of the inheritance, but the main deal went to the oldest, the, the, the prestige of the family name, uh, 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 the most of the money, most of the land, most everything went to the oldest. And it was called the birthright because they had the right of being born first. Okay, So Esau, one day, the Bible says he was out hunting, and uh, he'd been out hunting all day long, and he came back home, and Jacob had been at home, and he had made red pottage or red stew. And uh, uh, Esau, being a man, uh, said, oh, I'm going to die. I'm so hungry. Jacob, I need some of your food. Once again, the Bible says he didn't go on like a five-month hunting trip. He was gone a day. Okay, He went in the morning, and now he's done for the day. And he's saying, I'm going to starve to death if you don't give me some food, man. Okay, So he tells this to his brother. And Jacob, being the trickster, the deceiver, says, I'll tell you what. I'll give you some of my food. If you give me the birthright. Now, according to God and his promise, who was supposed to have the birthright? Jacob was. The younger shall be stronger. The elder shall serve the younger. 
but that's how God wants it. Whether or not God's timing lines up with your timing doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. God says, this is how I want it. That doesn't give you the right to say, okay, I get to do whatever I want to make that happen. That's how we often think. That's how we often do. Well, this is what it says to be. This is how it's supposed to be. I'm right, so I get to do what I want to prove that I'm right. That's not how it works. Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 through 30. This goes in detail about how Jacob and his mother tricked Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing. The birthright was the right of inheritance. The blessing was the father's blessing that God would honor. God says, whomever receives the blessing from the father has my direct blessing on their life. Of the blessing that I give to your family, the blessing I gave to your father, I will now give to you. Now, once again, Isaac knew the promise of God. Isaac knew what the deal was, but once again, for some reason, Isaac thought it would be best to do it his way. And Isaac, uh, sorry, and uh, Jacob and Rebekah thought it would be best to do it their way. And, and, and the Bible account is very detailed in how it all went down, which honestly is, is mind-boggling, okay? Uh, they slew a goat. They put it on his arm. They put it on the back of his neck, the, the fur. They skinned it, put it on the back of his arm, put it on the back of his neck, and to trick his dad into thinking he was Esau. Understand, Esau had to be a hairy man. I don't know if you've seen a goat before, but you can't really see their skin because of how much fur there is. So just imagine in your mind's eye what Esau must have looked like. If he has that much hair on his arm and that much hair on the back of his neck that you could look like that you could use a goat and, oh, that's Esau. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. Like, that's just like, ooh, that's a hairy guy. Must be really hot. Imagine being a hunter and like having a winter jacket on all the time. Like, I don't know. Like, that's just, I think about that sometimes. Like, I think about like, wow, that's crazy. Like, he was a hairy man. Like, that's hairy. Like, that's like beyond hairy. That's kind of nasty. Okay. But that's who he was. And, and once again, also, he really wasn't that great of a cook because. Isaac asked, he said, oh, bring me, bring me some of your venison stew. Oh, man, I love your venison chili. It's the best thing ever. Make it for me. And Rebecca said, oh, I got it. Bring me the goat. <laughs> Dad won't know the difference. Believe me, I don't know the difference, okay? Uh, yeah, so that's what it was. But Isaac loved it. He thought it was the best thing ever. And Rebecca and Jacob said, we can make his venison stew with goat, okay? So it's, there's nothing real special about it because you can't tell the difference anyways. So that's what happened. He came in, just what Isaac told him to do. He said, Esau, I want you to go out, kill a deer, come back, make your venison stew, and then I'm going to give you the blessing. Because Isaac knew his time was coming to an end. He could barely see anymore. He was about to die. His, not, his time on earth was growing very small. So Jacob and Rebekah take into their own, their own plan, 
to, take the, uh, to steal the blessing. Now, once again, according to God's promise, Jacob was supposed to be the one to receive the blessing. But that does not mean that Jacob and Rebekah had a right to do what they did. They stole. Doing wrong to do right is still wrong. That is never okay. That has never been okay and never will be okay. It does not matter if you have the promise of God, which Jacob did. Jacob had the promise of God that you are going to be the stronger. Your older brother is going to be your servant. But here's the problem. What they were showing, what Jacob and what Rebecca were showing is, I guess God needs a little help. Ooh, I can't trust God to do this for me, so I need to do it myself. I need to exalt myself to the position that God gave me. God gave it to me. I think one of the best examples of that is David. David had the promise of God. He had been anointed many times that you are the next king of Israel. And he had multiple occasions where he could have killed Saul. And if the roles were reversed, David would have been a dead man. I mean, he tried to do it many times. If he was a better throw with a javelin, David probably would be dead. But even though David had these chances, he said, I'll trust God. In fact, David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He said, I know God anointed me. If there's anyone that could touch the Lord's anointed, I think it would be the Lord's anointed. But David said, it's not, mine to, it's not mine to choose. It's not mine to make a decision on if it's my time or not. You see, if Isaac decided to do his own thing and give the birthright and give the blessing to Esau, so be it. God will still make sure Jacob gets what is coming to him, what he has promised him. It didn't seem like that for David when he was running and hiding in caves, when all of his friends were vagabonds and convicts and poor and those that were in debt, that's what his company was because that's who he drew to him. At any time, he would have thought, you know what? I don't know about this gig. I don't know if this is, if this is what's supposed to be happening. God made me a promise that I'm supposed to be king and I'm sleeping in a cave for my life running for my life from someone I served and gave my life for. And he's trying to kill me. God makes promises, but God fulfills those promises on his time. Jacob said, you know what, God made a promise, but I'm going to do what I think I need to do. I'm going to make sure that I fulfill those promises. He exalts himself. Oh, and because of it, Jacob would reap what he sowed for many years of his life. Oh, Jacob sowed a lot of deception, a lot of hurt, and a lot of problems in his younger years. And it would be turned back just on him the way he had done to others. I mean, the most obvious one is Laban with his daughters. Jacob loved Rachel. If 
fell in love with her. Love at first sight. It's in the Bible, okay? And he loved her so much that he was willing to work seven years for her. Not like, I'll get married and then I'll work seven years. No, he'll wait and work seven years and then he'll get married. True love. So romantic, okay? Work for his father-in-law just for the promise that in seven years I get to marry your daughter. Can you, can you imagine? I remember when we first started back from COVID, we had just the, just the church kids Sunday school, Brother Jordan and I, we, we, were, running the, we were doing the Sunday school. And we were on this lesson of, of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. And when I told them what happened about how, and Jacob woke up the night after his wedding, and he rolled over in his bed, and the face he saw was not Rachel. Now, I did it a little more suspensefully. I'm like, and it was Leah. And Sophia, her face, she was like, oh. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. I'm like, hey. She was into it, and she was like, oh, no way, drama. No, I... <laughs> but he reaped what he had sown. Just imagine if they had just trusted God, how easier of the path it would have been for Jacob. So much heartache in his life that he caused himself because of his own deception. From Laban, from his own family, his own wives bickering back and forth, causing problems, causing issues, his own sons. The ultimate deception. Your son Joseph is dead. Oh, oh and the way they did it. Hey, Dad, um, we found this, this cloth, and it's been ripped to shreds, and there's some blood on it. Is this your son's? making their father believe that his son had been mauled by a ravenous beast. Don't tell me you do not reap what you sow. Because by this time, Jacob had become Israel. He had wrestled all night. He had gotten the blessing from God. But once again, he deceived, and so later on, he was then deceived. You exalt yourself, you'll reap the benefits, and you'll reap the repercussions for exalting yourself. Oh, Haman did. Oh, he thought it was going to be great. Didn't turn out so great for him. Always remember, you are nothing without God. David, as we've already talked about, he was unassuming. David would rather let God take care of him and he would do his best to admire and look after God's anointed his family. Understand, there was one time David and his men were hiding in a cave and Saul and his men came in that very same cave, camped out in front of them. They all snuck out. David cut off a piece of Saul's uh, uh, clothing and then they went out there and got a little bit of ways and then they yelled at them to wake them up and David then says Saul what are you doing why are you trying to kill me and he shows I could have killed you 
And then David even felt bad and remorseful for even doing that to King Saul, for just cutting off some of his clothing, some of his garment. He says, I shouldn't have done it. It was wrong of me to even do this. And then he looks at Abner, Saul's second-hand man, Saul's right-hand man. And he looks at him and he begins to scold Abner. He says, Abner, you didn't do your job. If we were the enemy, our king would be dead because of you. So not only did he spare Saul's life, not only did he feel bad and remorseful for even just cutting his clothing, he even rebuked Saul's protector for not doing a good job. Don't tell me David did not trust that God was in control. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. But, but you're the Lord's anointed, David. I know. And I trust that God will do right by me when my time comes. When I am ready, I will trust that God knows that I'm ready. But until then, I will do what's right. I've tried to teach this to some of the students in the school. Whenever you have a question about something, you always fall back on what you know is right. I have a question. I don't know what the Bible is saying right here. Okay, well, let's go back to what we know is right. We know God cannot lie. Okay, that's a foundational truth. We know that. These are things that you have to learn how to do. David was a master of it. I know this is right. I may not understand the situation. I know that this is not how the situation is supposed to be. But I'm going to trust that what God said before is still true today. So I can only control me. So David decided to control himself. He was unassuming and would rather let God take care of the problem than taking care of it himself. See, that's what Haman struggled with. That's what Adonijah struggled with. That's what Jacob struggled with. See, the first two, they were wrong on all accounts. They didn't deserve the exalting. They were not right in how they tried to take it for themselves. But even Jacob was wrong. He had the promise of God. But God will work when God is ready. So the question is, and the question remains, who will exalt you? Are you impatient? Can you wait on God? I'm going to read you a list of verses. Psalms 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. That could have been David's life verse. So much evil had been done unto David, but he just laid in wait. I trust the Lord. Lamentations 3.26. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. We live in a day and age where I need to let everyone know what I think. This is my truth. I really don't care what your truth is. God says, hope and wait quietly. Quietly wait. Once again, can you imagine being David? You have the promise of God of great things are going to come in your life. 
but you're sleeping in a cave, running for your life like a dog, like a stray dog, that's who you are. And he waited quietly. He waited in hope on the Lord. Isaiah eight seventeen, and I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his faith from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Even when I can't feel God, even when I don't even know where he's at, I'll wait for him. That's just like the Sunday school lesson this morning. It may feel like Jesus and the Lord is far away, but I'll wait for him. I know he's going to come. Whether it comes in the way that I think it will, or whether it comes in a totally different way, I'm going to trust in God, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not carefully answered you, okay? We're very respectful. We honor who you are and your position, but we are not careful to answer thee. We'll not bow down. They knew who God was. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. Once again, we love the promises of God, but we often like to cut out the prerequisites for the promise. Oh, the Lord is good to them. those that wait for him. See, the problem, the major problem with exalting ourselves is most of the time, it's not our time yet. Most of the time, God has made us a promise, just like Jacob. He had the promise of God, good things are coming, Jacob. Your brother, he's going to be your servant. You're going to be the stronger one. You've got good things coming, Jacob. But he just couldn't wait. And because of it, so much turmoil he would have to go through in his life. His sons, his own family, so much turmoil in his life. I mean, you read when, when Jacob goes through all of his sons and tells them all his things. Son after son, it's like, this is good about you, but man, you've got this problem. This is good about you, but man, you've got this problem. This is good about you, but man, you've got this problem. Problem after problem after problem. How much of that could have been foregone if he had just waited on the Lord? Psalms 37, 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Micah 7, 7, therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Psalm 62, 5, my soul wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. <clears throat> Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you trust God? That's ultimately the whole crux. We love to exalt ourselves because we just do not trust that God will do us right. That's ultimately what happens. I don't believe God is going to treat me the right way that I think I should be treated, so I'm going to take it into my own hands because I know what's best for me. I have my own wish list of things that I want, and I think God needs to do it today. So I'm going to make it happen because God isn't going fast enough for me. Pastor Bell has used the analogy before. He said, his brother used to say it all the time. 
He fears that one day when the Lord returns, there's just going to be one person left standing on a pile of dead bodies of Christians. And he stands atop with the blood-soaked sword and says, are you proud of me? I outlasted them all. Oh, look, I made it to the top. I'm the most exalted one there is. But did I give it to you? The Lord would say, or did you take it for yourself? See, honor only has value when it's bestowed. A doctorate means much more when it's given honorarily than when it's earned through the classroom. Because when it's given honorarily, what they're saying is you have earned. You haven't just shown you can do it on a test. You've done it in the real world. You are deserving of the honor of having this title bestowed upon you. Honor given is much more than honor taken. That's what Jesus Christ was trying to teach. He's saying, guys, look, you are going to be representations of me. Is there a person more unassuming than Jesus Christ? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the most powerful being in all of creation, and his first night on earth was spent on the dinner plate of animals. We live in a you know, first world country. So there's so many things that we think of that are, oh my, oh, that, whoa, whoa. Could you imagine all the red flags that would be going off if a child were born in a stable today? Oh, oh, oh my. But your Lord and your Savior said, it's no problem. I don't mind. I'll take it. I'll be a carpenter's son. I'll work for a living. Most of his life, he was a carpenter. Following in his stepfather's footsteps. I'll do it. No problem. And he tried to teach his disciples very near to the end when he grabbed the base of water and the rag and he began to wash their feet. Saying, guys, look. Stop assuming you deserve honor. Stop assuming who you are. Let others bestow that upon you. You just worry about yourself. You just worry about doing what you're supposed to do. You just worry about pleasing me, and I'll take care of the rest. When you're bidden to come to a party, stay in the lowest room. Don't take the seat of honor. Take the lowest seat in the house. Stand if you have to. Act like you're no one special. God is waiting for someone. James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God says, you know, you remind me of someone when you learn how to be humble. I see someone in you. 
when you learn how to just bite your lip and just let it go. I see my son. Remember, Jesus Christ was under examination for days, nonstop questions being railed against, lied about. And he opened not his mouth. Oh, none of us could do that today. We live in the generation of, I'm right. I'm going to show you how I'm right. I'm much better than you. And the list goes on and on and on. Speak your truth. Tell me how you feel. I'm sorry. It really doesn't matter how you feel or I feel. We live in such a generation that is so prideful. Proverbs 16.5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. It doesn't matter how many people you got with you, Adonijah. You're still going to fall. Proverbs 28.25, he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. God says, you put your trust in me. I'll give you so much blessing, you won't know what to do with it. You won't be able to hold it all, how much blessings I'll be giving to you if you just learn how to trust me. Do you trust the Lord? Psalms 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Proverbs 3, 6. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the first form from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. We are too worried and too concerned about me. What am I going to have? How am I going to look? What are people going to think about me? Maybe you need to change your thought into how is Christ going to look? What are people going to think about Christ? What are people going to think about my Savior? Because nobody cares what they think about you. Give no thought of yourself, who you are, or where you're going. Trust in the Lord, and He will lead you. He will exalt you due time. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It's easy to do good at the beginning. It's easy to do right at first. But God wants to know when it's really pouring in on you. David, when I really put you through the ringer, when I turn your world so hard upside down, you don't know right from left, up from down. Are you still going to trust me? Luke 14, verse 11, for whosoever exalted himself shall be abased. You'll be cut off. You exalt yourself. You put yourself up there. You will be cut down. Whosoever exalted himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, 
and a recompense be made thee. Saying, look, you can only worry about yourself. You can only take care and control of who you are. So you worry about yourself. Once again, we've fallen for the world's teaching. Sell yourself. Tell them what you can do. Show me how great you are. There's nothing really great about me. Put others down so you can stand out. Now God says, put others in front of you so I can see you. I know where you're at when you're at your lowest. I know where you're at when you are humble. God says, you put others before you, I'll raise you up. Isaiah 58 talks about to those that draw their soul out to the hungry. He says, you put others before you. You put your life in service of others. God gives you promise after promise. He says, I'll raise your light in obscurity. When there's nothing that you that, that's going on that you understand, when it's total nothingness that's going around, you do what I want you to do. You put others in front of yourself. I'll raise your light in obscurity. I will be your guide. Stop worrying about who you are. Put in the Lord's hand and let God exalt you. Let's pray, dear Father.